All right, everybody, welcome back. Another episode of the Players Impact Podcast. We're here in Laguna Beach, California. Special guest today, entrepreneur, former baseball player, Ed Milet. Ed, thanks for having us here. So glad to have you here, man. Yeah, welcome absolutely. to the house. Thank you. Thank you for having us. So I would love to hear, you know, as someone who follows all your content, which I highly recommend everyone does. Thank you. Um, where did the baseball journey really begin for you? Wow. Uh, well, very young, like most guys that are probably listening to this. I started playing when I was... You know, five, six years old, and it was the first sport for me that I had some natural proclivity to be pretty good at because I'm not a real big guy. So, you know, basketball was probably not my natural sport. Yeah. I couldn't jump out of the gym or anything like that. And um, so really, really young, and I loved, you know, I was left-handed, so everyone thought I had a pretty swing no matter how bad my swing looked. The lefties always look better, I think. No offense to the right-handed hitters, but, you know, there's something beautiful about a left-handed swing, so... It started young, and by the time I was in high school, it was the only sport I was playing. I had narrowed it down to just that sport. So right, and so what was the journey like for you? You know, obviously now you're in business. Mm-hmm. What takeaways did you take from kind of your upbringing through the game? What would you say are like one or two things that the game really taught you? About? Yeah, well, all of my any self confidence I've ever developed when I was young only came in baseball. Because outside of baseball, I wasn't particularly smart in school. I was a little guy. I got bullied. My dad was an alcoholic now sober, my best friend. So baseball was like this refuge for me where it was a place where I was pretty good, you know, and I'd love to please coaches. I was a coach pleaser. I loved to work hard. I loved to get there early. And it was really interesting. I was so little that I I almost stood out, ironically. Like the fact that I was so small but could play, I think they almost rooted for me being such a little guy, you know, so... I learned everything in my life about hard work and dedication and the corny stuff that everybody tells you about. You know, there's this Napoleon complex. People say, I'm not that short anymore. I'm almost an average sized guy now. But I grew up small. And so I had to outwork everybody, man. Like, I had to get there earlier. I had to take extra fly balls. I, I, you know, I had to take extra BP. Anything I could do where the coach would meet me early or anything like that. So I just built this habit of being first and leaving last. And that's definitely served me. And then the mental toughness, dealing with the rejection of if you're good, you're still going to get out 70% of the time. If you're a good high school player, maybe you get out 50% of the time, you know, but learning about failure, learning about adapting, you know, having my first at bat and seeing how the guy would work me. And then knowing, okay, well, you know, this guy, you know, he, he likes to work me outside. They've shifted the defense because I hit everything oppo, right? So it was just being aware of how things would need to be adjusted to because that's business. It's constantly a game of adjustments, making, you know, alterations where you, your first plan doesn't work, you correct it. And so all of that stuff was all baseball. The more I think about it, like, and I think about baseball every day still. Right. I still think about the sport every single day Yeah. at some point. And I can tell that's why we're having this interview. Yeah. <laughs> so, so around what age did you realize, like, baseball was something that you were good at? You played the D1 level. Um, yeah, I played D1. I think I probably realized, and to be honest with you, that was a letdown. I, I mean, I really thought I would play far beyond that. And I had a chance to play beyond that. I just, <clears throat> I had some, my injuries ended a career that would have ended anyway. So it prematurely, I'm not one of these guys go, I'd have played in the big leagues for 15 years. I played with enough players who did play in the big leagues for 15 years. I've got enough friends who were great players to know the difference between them and me. But my career certainly ended prematurely because of some significant injuries. Um, but I knew I was good. I knew I was a pretty good player. You know, I think probably I was a good player till I was 10 to 12 years old. And then just frankly, like, I stuck with the game. A lot of people listen to this relate to this. There were guys better than me. 
drinking distracted them, girls, drugs, bad grades. All of a sudden, the, the, the pool of good players got thinner and thinner the older I got. So I think I got better, but really good guys weren't playing anymore right. or picked other sports. And so, you know, by the time I was in high school, I was MVP my freshman year in high school on a team that ended up winning CIF eventually. Some of the best players, you know, you and I have talked. Jimmy Evans was one of my high school players. A lot of D1 players on my high school team alone. So I knew I could play by the time I was a teenager. Right. And what role did the game play in your personal development? I know as someone who's listened to a lot mm -hmm. of your content, kind of some of the struggles that you went through kind of through your childhood and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Like at what point was or was baseball a thing that kind of drove you through those challenges? Yeah, I think baseball kept me in school, to be honest with you, because I wasn't a very good student. You know, I had this Spanish teacher. It's funny because you're from Boston. My Spanish teacher, he's passed away now. His name was Rand Millar, Mr. Millar one of those figures in your life and um, he was Dwight Evans Spanish teacher too years before right field for the Red Sox and so about halfway through my uh, freshman year I was flunking Spanish this is no joke but I could really play and the school knew this dude could play so Mr. Millar I can say this because he's passed away and I love him he by the way came to work for me years later in my business isn't that ironic he ended up working for me but he um, he goes look he calls me in after class and he goes look you're gonna flunk my class and he goes, I really like you a lot. And Dewey, Dwight, had the same problems you had. So he goes, I'm going to make you the same deal I made Dwight Evans. Don't come in here anymore. <laughs> he goes, what I want you to do when it's third period, I want you to not be in here. I want you to go down to the dugout. I want you to sweep the infield. I want you to make sure the dugout's clean. I want you to rake the grass. I want you to do whatever you can. But do not come back in here because we need to make sure we can get you to college. Right. And so uh, I started to learn, I think, that, hey, I can get – my confidence, my identity started to come from playing baseball. It's like, you know what? People recognize me for this, you know? And that's a hard part for people listening to this is when your identity is tied up in being that baseball player or being that athlete, who are you once that's gone? Right. And that's something a lot of people struggle with that follow your content is like, oh, my identity was I was a baseball player. Right. I don't think I really knew who I was. I don't even know that I knew I was good at things other than that. And then when I watch this with the pro athletes I deal with. They could be 10, 15 years in the NHL, 12 years in the NFL, play the big leagues a long time. When you strip them of that identity of being the athlete, now who are you? Right. And that's the transition that will define the lives of the guys listening to this. Who are you now that you don't have baseball? And is there a piece of advice or something that these athletes can do? Because that is a lot of our audience is mm -hmm. whether they're professional college mm -hmm. or even amateur athletes. Yeah. What is like the tactic? What did you do to reverse your identity mm -hmm. You know, when the game was over, after mm -hmm. that last play, yeah. we'll, we'll get back to that. But what was, what did you specifically do to, I guess, reverse your identity or create this new identity that we, we see today? I drew on the stuff I was good at. So you guys listen to this. You don't give yourself enough credit. You did a lot in baseball that wasn't just handed to you. So there was a reason why you got as far as you got. Whether it's D2 or you were a great high school player, you played professionally, there, success leaves clues. That same recipe, to some extent, will work if you apply it in other places. Mm -hmm. And so it's getting momentum. Let's be honest, man. There was a point in your career, all of you, that you know you just started to get into a groove. You found things that worked for you. There was some adjustment you made at the plate or your release point as a pitcher or you changed your stance and you found your recipe and your formula that allowed you to get momentum. You, you were harder working than other people. You learned about self-confidence. You learned about, for me, it was my mental preparation and visualizing because you're subconscious mind doesn't know the difference between a real event and an imagined event. So when I had my first significant injury, it was one of those really powerful things. We had this team shrink that worked with us and he's like, look, 
you're going to stand behind the cage and BP every day. And what you're going to do is you're going to close your eyes and you're going to see yourself hitting line drive up the middle, line drive up the middle, line drive up the middle. If you want to go a little deeper on this, I thought I was a good visualizer. And he said to me, he goes, so you visualize a line drive up the middle? I'm like, yeah. Then I'm a sophomore in college. And he goes, so um, where's the camera at? I go, what do you mean? He goes, where's the camera? If you're visualizing, where do you see it from? Is it the camera over the pitcher, like center field, like on TV? Or is it from the batter's box out? I went, shit, I don't know. Let me think about it. He goes, you don't know? So I didn't really visualize. I went, oh, um, okay, it's me in the batter's box looking out. Right. He goes, okay, so can you see the ball out of the pitcher's hand? Can you see the release point? I'm like, no. He goes, well, slow it down. I want you to see the ball come out of his hand. Then he said, can you see the rotation? You know, can you see the little dot? Are you getting, is it a splitty? Is it a I go, I don't know. He goes, I want you to see the rotation of the stitches. When the ball comes in and you're swinging, do you see the bat hit the ball and then the ball recoil off? I said, no. He goes, I want you to start to see that. Can you see the stitches rotating the other way after you hit it? Anyway, he made me visualize very specifically, right? Not like visualize your dreams, visualize it. He made me learn to really visualize, right? And so what happened was when I came back, I was not a great hitter. My freshman year, I didn't have a very good year. First day back from my injury, I had 27 straight line drives up the middle. And I'm talking about, we've all had those moments, like the team was gathering around, like what the hell's going on with Eddie? Yeah. It'd be low and away, and I'd flip my hands and hit a line drive up the middle, and jam me, and I'd still hit a line drive up the middle. And then I popped one up, and then I hit like 16 more right back up the middle. And here's the reason why, and it changed my life, and that's the application for business. Everyone else on the team was having real experiences. So they'd pop one up, ground one to short, rip one, strike out, pop one up, hit a fly ball, hit one in the gap. They were having random events of success and failure. I had nothing but line drives up the middle. Your subconscious doesn't know the difference. So when I got into business, I was like, I'm going to apply the same specificity to my vision that I did when I was hurt. And so I, I'm really good at, I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm really good at having a very specific, clear vision that I repeat over and over and over and over and over again because my subconscious doesn't know that it's not real. It's just as good as having had the experience. Whereas what you did in baseball is you did that, but now that you're in business, you think you have to wait for the wins until you get momentum. Wait for the wins until it starts happening. Nothing can be further from the truth. You can visualize these wins over and over, and to the extent that you're specific when you do it, is to the extent that you'll start to manifest and create these things in your life. Those are the lessons you should be taking from your sport. Is all the things you did well, you don't even know you did well. Mm -hmm. And if you start to apply them to business like I did, you'll crush everybody. Right. And so when you were applying those to business, did you have mentors or anyone really leading the way or was it just you grinding and finding your way? Initially, none. No mentors initially. Um, and I think most guys listen to this. I could be your mentor through social media. I could be your mentor through my podcast, through my videos, through my trainings. There's an era now where you have no excuse not to have a mentor. Now, the proximity to your mentor may not be what you would like it to be. You may have to watch their content or listen to them. And clearly, the highest form of influence if someone's your friend. Like right now, I'm having more influence over you, with you, you are with me, than by you just listening to my stuff, right? But that doesn't mean I haven't influenced you, and it doesn't mean you couldn't, and you're not influencing these guys, you do, right? So I didn't have any mentors in the beginning, but then I did, I started to actively seek them out, I started to actively upgrade, as I've told you off camera, the guys that I, the people, not just the guys, because they were women too, the people who were gonna influence me, because you have an identity in your life, right? That identity is like the thermostat on the wall over there. You've heard me say this. It sets the temperature for your freaking life. And so everyone thinks it's the external things that dictate the conditions of our life. It's not true. It's an internal game. That thermostat regulates this room at 75 degrees. 
So if we opened the doors here, which were just open, and 50 degrees of air blew in here, this room does not become 50 degrees because of the external conditions. The thermostat heats the room up to 75. Same thing's true if we open the doors and hot air blew in here, 90 degrees, it'll cool the room back down. That's your identity. The issue for you guys listening to this is your baseball identity was way the hell up here, 150 degrees. Your personal business identity is down here at 75 degrees. And every time you get it going, you cool it back down subconsciously. You think it's coincidence. Ah, the vendor didn't do this. I had a bad break. A bill happened. A deal didn't go through. I missed a sales close. Nope. You got your, your results started to exceed your identity. It's like a guy who knows he's a 280 hitter mm -hmm. and he's hitting 420 to start out the year. He finds a way to cool it right back down to 280 eventually, right? And first off, it's like, man, I lined out the short. I smoked one to the gap. The guy made a diving catch. Nah, it's not coincidence. You're a 280 hitter, man. You get back to 280. In business, the same thing's true. So the way you change that thermostat is who you're around. Right. If I'm a 150 degree business guy or money guy or family guy and you're at 80, our proximity, I'll heat you up somewhere between me and you. So I started to add these people in my life whose identities were higher. Right. So talk about for, we have some athletes who are involved with TPI or just listening to this who are mm -hmm. still playing. Yeah. Talk about for those athletes specifically, what kind of opportunities do they have? What should they be doing? Because I think as a former athlete, there's yep. a huge difference between current active player and retired yep. in terms of business yes. on the business side. Yep. You business coach a lot of athletes. Yep. What should these athletes who are still playing, how can they capitalize yeah. on that position? Such a good question. You better take advantage of this time. You should be making connections and collaborations right now that'll be relationships you're gonna use post your career. I don't care if you're the best athlete in the world listening to this, you're delusional if you don't think you're making connections and relationships. My wealth is a combination of these great collaborations I've made with mentoring and also relationships I've made that we've gone into business together. We've shared referrals, resources, um, different relationships. The fact that you have this platform as an athlete, I don't care where you are, you're the best division two, you know, second baseman out there. It doesn't matter where you are. That gives you access to people, other teammates, other people, um, uh, people that are uh, donors to your school, right? There are people you should be making relationships with and befriending right now that you will utilize. All of the best athletes I coach that are now successful in business, I'm talking about, let's use the example of someone like Alex Rodriguez, right? When he was playing baseball and one of the greatest players of all time, he was still forging business relationships with Warren Buffett. He was still meeting people to do real estate deals with because no matter how good you are, there's going to be an age. Kobe Bryant, who lives down the street, right? Kobe Bryant was forming relationships while he was playing. Magic Johnson, do you know what Magic Johnson did when he was playing? When Magic Johnson was playing, I just did a speaking engagement with him, and I'll get the number of it wrong, but he asked Dr. Buss if he could get access to the names of the season ticket holders for the Lakers when he played, and he personally called, I believe this is the number, 30 different CEOs that were season ticket holders of the Lakers while he was playing for the Lakers and asked them to go to lunch with him. And he asked them if he could pick their brain and learn business from them because he had no business background, right? And so he interviews these 30 people through those relationships. And a couple of those people were ultimately the people that he ended up starting his Starbucks chains with and his movie theaters with. And so if Magic Johnson was doing that when he was the greatest player in the world, you probably should be taking advantage of those relationships, the small ones you have. It's the guy who's your trainer whose dad is a local gym owner and has 10 gyms. You should know that guy. Start to meet people, pick their brain, learn from them, use your access to build relationships and get information from them.
And how do these athletes manage? Because a lot of them, even the ones I've talked to, get approached with so many opportunities. Mm -hmm. So talk about the trust factor. Because you have to be smart, whether it's your money or even your time. Yep. As an athlete, you got to stay focused, obviously, on your craft. That, that's the hardest thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's who to trust. And first Any of, advice around that? First, yeah. Part of that, first of all, is your discernment. I wouldn't get into businesses you don't understand. So here's a mistake a lot of the athletes that I know have made. This guy's really smart. I'm going to give him some of my money because he's smarter than I am. Don't ever invest your money in something you can't explain back to me. And if the person can't get you to understand it in such a way that you can explain it back to me, they are probably purposely keeping you in the dark or confused so that they can take advantage of you. So that's the first thing. If they don't, if you can't understand what it is they're talking about, that is either something you shouldn't invest in because you'll blame yourself later that you put your money in something you didn't understand or put your name behind something you didn't understand. Or secondly, they're purposely keeping you confused and ill-informed so that they can take advantage of you. So that's the first thing I will tell you is you better understand it. And then you all need to find somebody who is your right hand, even if they're just an advisor, that you know you can trust, that you know has some business sense, that you vet these ideas through. So you should not be on an island making these decisions. There's got to be somebody that you know that you can trust, that you can begin to vet these ideas from. And then, by the way, there's this thing called Google today. You should be researching who these people are. If they tell you they've sold three companies before, make them prove it to you. More and more athletes come to me and go, hey, I'm working with this guy. He did this. He was involved in Facebook from the very beginning. You know, everyone has their bullshit story they tell right now. And the fact of the matter is I can almost usually tell when the dude is giving me the story that they've been lied to. You need to confirm the stories of these people because most of them weren't involved where they were involved. The other thing I'll tell you is if someone leads with me with their resume, I'm real skeptical usually. Mm -hmm. They should be leading with their idea. They should be leading with their integrity. They should be leading with their value, not their resume, because people BS resumes like crazy. How many guys do you know, and by the way, I've interviewed a few, that played ball but didn't play like at the level we played, and they start telling you, well, I played professional baseball, you know what I mean? Or you, everyone's laughing right now. I played college ball. Really, where'd you play? <laughs> Who was you? I had this guy uh, that I just interviewed for our company. <laughs> And we're at lunch, and to build rapport with me, because you know these guys don't know what they don't know. So this guy's a really sharp guy, really competent dude. He should have led with that. I'm one of the best salesmen in the world. I'll work hard for you. He didn't lead with that. He led with, just so you know, I played college baseball. I played in the Yankees organization. I'm like, cool, where'd you play minor league ball? Stutter, stammer. And he knew just enough to BS me about something. Yeah. Right? Didn't know the name of his coach. Then he told me that he played college baseball for Coach for um, USC. And I said, that's great. And I said, I have some really good friends in the program there. Man, they used to kick our ass when I played. And I said, who'd you play for? And he had Googled it and he said, Coach Dedo. And I said, you mean Coach Dato? And he goes, uh, yeah, yeah, that's him. I'm like, okay, let's stop this interview. I said, here's what I want you to do, son. I want you to apologize to me for lying about your background. And let's start all over again and just be you in front of me. So I'm really skeptical when people try to connect with me on an athletic background. We all know those dudes, right? And how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. So if you're willing to lie to me about that, exaggerate about that, BS your resume, whether it's business, achievements, startups you were involved with, or a fake athletic background that you never had, I'm not doing anything with you. So that's how I discern between who I trust and I don't trust. Right. Let's go back to the visualization <laughs> point because it is funny. Yeah, yeah. You're not you're not wrong. Yeah. Um,
going back to visualization, because you know, obviously we're we're here in your your beautiful home in Laguna Beach. Mm -hmm. You know, you told us this story, the famous story about you told your wife one day you're gonna live up here. Yeah, we did. There were no there are no houses up here, right? Well, you know the stories, brother. Yeah, yeah that's right. So, uh, yeah. you you talked about visualizing, hand the balls to the back of the cage, like mm -hmm. for athletes who are trying to get involved with business, whether they're mm -hmm. playing or not. Obviously, financial success is what they're trying to do. Yeah. How specific do they need to be in terms of those financial goals? Like, is it literally knowing a number or is it just knowing a direction that they want to go? Like, oh, I just want to be successful in business or no, I want a net worth of yeah. $50 million. I'm a big guy on uh, specificity Okay. because your brain can't go to work on processing like a generic result, mm -hmm. right? So, um, now by the way, that number will change. Like yeah. my first ambitions, once I really had like legitimate ambitions, like I really remember thinking to myself like, because I had played baseball, right? And so and when I played, guys didn't make the money that you make now. I'm not mm. that old. But I remember thinking, man, like if I could ever get a business or enough money, this is what I thought. If I could get enough money where it spit off $100,000 a year to me yep. and I could pay off like a nice track house like the one I grew up in, I'll play golf five, six days a week, man. Like you'll never see me. If I could just get my hands. And so I reverse engineered. I'm like, if I could get like $2 bucks saved at 5% interest on that money, that's a hundred thousand bucks a year. I will never do crap again in my life, right? But it's a very specific, very clear outcome, very clear goal. Because that's how you measure it. Mm -hmm. You can't measure success. You can't measure lose ten pounds. You can't measure wealth. The only way you measure it, like when I started a season, I'm like, I want to steal fifty bags this year, mm -hmm. right? I knew what it was. It wasn't like I want to steal down. bases, yeah, right? I want to have a good year. No, you know what the hell it was. I wanted to hit three fifty. Right? Or whatever it was. Like, I knew what it was and I'd measure it. So, I wanted to improve my contact. Like, I one year I remember thinking, I'm going to go the whole year and not have a swinging miss strikeout. Like, specific goals like that. The more, a lot of the tour players that I work with that are professional golfers, for example, the really good ones, the amount of specificity they have of what they're trying to achieve. It's not like, I want to win five tournaments. They break it down to like, I want to be top 10 in driving accuracy. I want to hit most greens in regulation. I want strokes gained in putting. Like the really great athletes are so specific with what they're measuring. And so what that does is it's like right now in golf, this is what being specific does. There's a debate right now because you can leave the pin in. So a lot of the players that I'm working with are like, should I leave the pin in or not? And I said, I, you know, I really don't know whether you should do that. But what I like about the pin being in, and Adam Scott talks about this is it narrows your focus down from the hole to the stick. And when you narrow the focus down, you can become more precise. And that way, if you're off by a millimeter or two, you're still in the cup. So the, the more specific the thing is you're measuring, the more likely you are to hit it. And it gives you a little variance. So the same is true in your goals in business. They need to be specific. They need to be measurable. They need to be repeatable. And you need to be calibrating very regularly whether you're on or off course and what adjustments you need to make. There's such a massive power, not only to having the goal, but to go back to what we said earlier, repeating it and visualizing. What will it look? All of you that played, you had those dreams sometimes the night before games of what it will look like. You, you knew the guy you were going to face, or and you could picture the hit. You could see the ball going over the fence. You could feel the feeling of rounding the bases when you hit the ball. You know what it's like when you you know drop a changeup on the guy. He swings and misses. How you feel walking off the mound, or you just blew your best gas at somebody, right? Whatever you had, oh, threw it right by him. That feeling of like, boom, right? You visualize that and it's specific. And what it does is it anchors that feeling in your body and your body wants to replicate that feeling and emotion, okay? 
this is another lesson from sports. You got to do this in your business. You got to get that. It's not the same. People go, man, you don't replace that feeling ever in your life. Trust me. Okay. But you can make it different. And so the feeling of one, when it's rare, but the feeling of one, I literally just jumped it. I'm looking middle in and the dude just throws a fatty and you just, you know, and you just, everything you got, that feeling is so effing unreal, right? I don't think I've replicated that. But that same feeling also of sitting out here smoking a cigar, drinking a scotch when I'm alone, it's a totally different feeling. It's not the same. It's damn good though, man. Mm -hmm. And in some ways better and deeper and longer lasting than just that moment. Because that I get to share with my family. That I get to share with legacies. The home run I hit was just me. Mm -hmm. And the totality of my life, was that really that big of a deal? You know what I mean? And those are the guys that are still playing. It's the biggest deal because you're still playing. But when it's done, it's not replacing the feeling. It's adding new ones. And so that specificity and clarity and anchoring it into your body and wanting that emotion again is what, what for me, is what I live for now. And that's why I'll never stop. I'm always going to be going for that next thing. And that's why I wanted to ask it again yeah. is because I feel like that, of all the episodes we've done, that's the most practical piece of advice because any athlete can understand that feeling. Yeah. It doesn't have to be baseball. And I just feel like it's so easy to apply. Like even sitting here interviewing you, yep. I'm thinking about how I can apply it. So that's why I wanted to like emphasize. I do it all the time, man. Yeah. It's like I'm addicted to it's it. So like there'll be a point today where I will be reflecting on something that I want and I anchor that feeling into my body. And what happens is your body craves that feeling mm -hmm. more than anything. You rob yourself of the juice of life. Most athletes stop dreaming. They think they can't get the same juice out of anything else in their life. They'll never be the same. I'm living proof. Some of you guys are better athletes than me. But that's a pretty good one. I'm living proof that your post-career wins and joys and achievements and emotions and feelings can even surpass it. And that's why, by the way, those of you guys that are still playing, you need to chase it till you can't. People say, when do I know when it's over? Look, I don't know you'll know. And you don't ever want to, if you're still playing, you don't ever want to live with the regret of wondering whether you could have. Freaking max it out. Like, go the extra spring training. Go the extra season. If you got to go play in Europe and you're a basketball player, there's a point where you'll know. But if you don't know, keep playing. Unless you know you know. Like, I got to a point where I knew. I knew. But I'll tell you right now, if I wasn't sure I wasn't going to make it, I'd rather play one more year. Right. That's just my opinion, okay? I hate to see a man quit on his dream prematurely. You don't know, you should keep playing. Once you know, why would you ever keep playing again? Mm. There's no point. You're fooling yourself. And every year you keep playing, when you know you're not going to make it to where you need to go, you're cheating yourself out of another day of your future. Let's get after it, man. Let's shift yeah. gears and let's go. So I wanted to end the interview. That's mm. a great place to segue into mm. this. So your piece, Fueling Your Flame, which we mm. talked about earlier, which yeah. is amazing. Anyone listening should definitely. It's Thank on you. YouTube, Fueling Your Flame, yeah. and my let. Or my audio podcast. Yeah, or audio. iTunes. Yeah. Um, your last play. It inspired one of my own Instagram posts. Like, I think mm. every athlete every mm. athlete does have that last play. Yeah. But what I want to know is mm. let's talk about your last play in business now. Mm -hmm. What was that experience like of jogging off that field for that last time? Mm-hmm. Talk about that mm -hmm. and talk about how that has changed your view because you're going to have a last play in business too. Mm -hmm. Even though you can technically do it forever, mm -hmm. at some point you're going to sure. want to hang it up. Yeah. Like what is that last play going to be and what is that last play in business well, really going to feel like? By the way, you're good at this. Um, my last play in baseball, uh, I talk about this all the time. Like 
my regret in baseball is, I'll give you two things real quick. My regret in baseball is that I didn't give it everything I had. There was a little I left in the tank. In other words, I was a little too cool for school after a while. Almost like I felt like if I just hold back a little bit, then if I fail, I kind of got an excuse. I did the same thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I could have got there earlier. I, I could have taken more BP. I could have made some changes. I could have hit it harder in the gym. And let me say this to all you athletes that are still playing. Don't ever do what I did. Because I'm 48 years old next month. I've got an incredible life, multiple homes. I own my own jet. I've got every car you've ever wanted in your life. And um, every month or so, <clears throat> I get emotional about this, but every month or so, I have a nightmare. And this is 20-some-odd years later, more than that, 30 years later almost, right? No, 20-some years later. And it's this dream I have, and I know you know this, but I'm outside a stadium. And I can hear, I was a leadoff hitter, I could hear the announcer saying, leading off, playing center field, number eight, Eddie Milet. And I can't get in the stadium. I have my uniform on. And I can't find the door to get in to play. I want to play. They've called me in, and I can't get in the damn stadium. I go to the security guard. They won't let me in. I can't. I'm like, no, no, no. They just called my name. I'm in. He's like, you can't get in, dude. You can't get in. And the reason I have that nightmare all these years later, and by the way, I know I'm having the nightmare, and I can't break it, is because I live with the regret every day still with all of the great things in my life, have not having not maxed out my effort. It's okay I didn't make it. It's okay my career ended. It's not okay that it ended without knowing how good I could have been. I just don't know. And I cheated my life out of that. And so don't have that happen if you're still playing. Fucking outwork everybody, man. Like outwork everybody. And then if it doesn't work, you can live with it. But when you don't outwork everybody, you can't live with it. I'll be 78 years old. I'm telling you, I'm pretty sure I'll still be having that. Leading on. And I can't get in the damn game. I wish I could play again. I wish I could go back, but I can't. And there's going to be an age where you'll be me with millions and hundreds of million dollars of net worth. And you'll be going, I wish. Don't have that. So my last play, uh, I remember it was a little kind of pop-up. And our shortstop was coming in to get it. And I remember everything started to happen in slow motion. It was like... I knew this was the last play, right? And I remember, there's two last plays, but this will be the one I'll give you. And I remember as there was happening, I was jogging in towards, because I was going to back him up. And I remember everything slowed down. And then the last out was made. And actually, I end up with the ball, and I roll the ball to the mound. And I remember everything slowed down as I was coming off the field. I could remember all kinds of things. I could picture my parents in the stands. I could picture the first baseball camp I was at. I could picture all the times I was in the gym. I could picture my first home run that they filmed. I was on the Dodgers, but we wore red uniforms. And I hit my first home run over the fence. It was a grand slam to win the game. And on the video, I was so excited, I completely skipped second base in T-ball. I went from first to third to home. I was so excited, you know. All these moments of my career, all the time with my teammates, all the laughing in the locker room, all the ups and downs, the mistakes, the fly ball I dropped, Cal State forward and when all the scouts were there and the cross checkers were there and I was leading the nation in hitting and I dropped the damn fly ball. I get up, I ground into a double play. Like I just, I remember all of it and it just flooded back to me like in slow motion. I remember just thinking, it's over. It's over. And I never thought it would be over. 
I just never thought it was going to be over. And so I regret that all the time. It was this, just the most surreal feeling. And I can picture it in my body like it was yesterday. My business one won't end like that. My business one will be, uh, when it's over, I'll be able to actually, this is why we're doing this right now. But business one, when it's over, there'll be no nightmare. The business one will be, I will have maxed out. The business one is, I will have outworked everyone. I will have maxed out my effort. I will have no regrets. I don't know what the results are going to be, but the business, I will never have that happen again. I will never live in regret. When it ends, it won't end though, because what I'm trying to do is lift up a generation of leaders who can take my work, my content, my message past me. I don't want to be the king. I want to be the king maker. And that's one of the things about playing baseball it taught me. I want to be on the team. One of the great things about being a leadoff hitter, it sets your personality. So if you're a cleanup hitter, you got to stop. A leadoff hitter, my job was to set the table, man. My job was to get other get in place so other guys could drive me in, right? And that's how I am in business. I'm a leadoff hitter, man. I want to set the table. I want to lift up leaders. And so my personality is still I'm the leadoff hitter. I just want to get on, and I want the big dudes to clean it up, right? And I want to play great defense. I want to help people. I want to contribute to the team. And so to this day, at almost 48 years old, that's in my personality. And when my business one ends, it won't end because there'll be leaders. But when my time of doing the work's done... I will have left it all on the field, no pun intended. I won't have the regret I have. No one will be, there'll be no nightmare going, coming up to speak, doing a podcast, Eddie. There won't be none of that because I will have left it all out there. So that'll be the difference for me in business. It's amazing. So where can these athletes in our audience, where, where can they connect with you, find you on social media and your podcast and stuff? Thank you. Uh, by the way, it was really great today. Thank you. Ed Milet, M-Y-L-E-T-T. You can get me on Instagram. I post stuff there every day that's pretty good, man. And then I've got a YouTube channel, Ed Milet. I've also got iTunes and Spotify, my podcast. Those are different, so you should subscribe to both of them. All of my stuff is free, by the way. I'm not doing this to make any money. And then I also have edmilet.com. If you put your email in there, you can get access to like my newsletter. But also, we're going to start putting out, because people want to come see me speak, where am I speaking? So it'll give you the agenda for my speaking gigs and stuff kind of in advance, too. And I'd love to connect. Turn your notifications on on Instagram so that you can hear my stuff. Thank you so much, Ed. Enjoyed it, man. This is awesome. Thanks, brother. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode of the TPI podcast, subscribe, leave us five stars, share it with a friend. It really means a lot. Ed's an amazing guy, so hopefully you'll follow him too. And uh, we'll see you next time on the TPI podcast.